Josh. Good evening. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I, I guess I should tell you the story, if those of you that don't know about the car accident, but I'll ask you, do you want, do you want to hear the true story or the fun story? Uh, the, the true story, I, I spun out on a bridge, but thank God uh, nobody else was involved, so nobody else was hurt. Nobody else's car got damaged, just my car. And uh, I was able to drive away and, and get it back home. So all in all, uh, spinning out on a bridge at midnight in Melbourne is, you know, getting it home, it, you know, praise the Lord. So I'm thankful for that. Acts chapter 1, we have uh, been doing a series on evangelism, Operation Evangelium, Evangelium standing for uh, the gospel, the good news, and uh, we went through a list of eight principles or eight characteristics of a gospel-centered, evangelistically thriving church, and we did this probably several weeks back, and so I um, just want to try to get that up when... Uh, Whenever you can, you know, we'll get the, the PowerPoint up. Um, but today we want to look at the book of Acts. We want to look at four words, three men, two principles, and some obstacles, uh, if we can get to that. But we use the acronym Gospel Up for a church that is evangelistically thriving, a church that has a culture of evangelism in which uh, that's, that's the underlying heartbeat of the church. And when we look at the New Testament church, we look at the Church of Jerusalem, uh, we see the Apostle Paul, the churches that were um, just started out of the, the Apostles' ministry at Pentecost, they had this underlying heartbeat for evangelism, reaching the lost. And that should be our goal here at Calvary Baptist Church, to have that underlying heartbeat as well. And uh, so that church, the Church of Jerusalem, it was gospel-centered. As we look at the book of Acts, uh, we see that there is much gospel preaching, and the preaching heavily focused on the gospel and the resurrection, particularly, of Jesus Christ. All right, let me get this on, see if I can get this advanced to where we want it. There we go. All right, so that's what we looked at in uh, previous lessons. Let me get to the next slide, so that way we can get to, the hopefully, the larger font. There we go. All right. So Operation Evangelium. Today, four words, three men, two principles, and some obstacles. Uh, so here's the list of eight characteristics that we looked at previously. Gospel up. So it's gospel-centered. And then others focus. There's a heavy emphasis on reaching others, reaching the community with the gospel. Spirit-filled, we notice over and over in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is being mentioned and they were praying for boldness in the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were prayerful. Their ministry was bathed in prayer. Uh, when Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait, they waited prayerfully for the day of Pentecost. And so they had that 10-day window between Christ leaving and coming back. Uh, they had that prayer meeting in which they prayed, and the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, and uh, the Holy Spirit began then working throughout the whole entire book of Acts. An environment of growth. The church was feeding up on the doctrine that the apostles were teaching, the, the teachings of Christ. And so people were not only getting saved, but they were also growing, following Christ in, in the doctrine of uh, the early church. 
leadership examples. The, the early church is full of leadership that was out doing the work of evangelism. Um, also, the church was putting men in place in the church to take care of the things, um, well, the ministration of the, the Grecian widows, taking care of things that were distractions from the gospel ministry. And so the church was balanced. It had men filling roles so that the, the apostles could focus on what they had been called to. And then we notice also unity and passion. There was a great unity within the church, focused on that gospel drive. And they're also passionate about the gospel. All right, so prayerful. There are several uh, verses that we have here. And I want to just take a moment uh, because so often we get very busy we uh, get into the church service, and a lot of times, we, if we're not careful, we will just go through the motions. And so we want to take a moment and stop and pray, because really, w- without prayer, we can go out and do all the witnessing that we want, but it's, uh, it's vain. And so let's stop and take a moment. I put three specific verses up here, uh, so to kind of guide our, our prayer tonight. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said, The harvest truly is great but labors are few. And let's just say this. I I have been very encouraged either talking to people myself or talking to people I know and just seeing how they are having gospel conversations. They are out there to be had. I know uh, a lot of times we say Australia is a very hard place, but really there are still people out there and they're still seeking. And so if we're just willing to take the time to slow down and address people and, and figure out some ways to get into those conversations, we can definitely have those conversations. Uh, the, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Are we willing to stop and slow down? So pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. So let's pray that this week God would send us into the harvest, that we would see the field, and we would see a soul this week, and that God would put us in an opportunity to witness to that, that soul. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. That word free course, it has the idea of, uh, anybody been to the Olympics or seen the Olympics? We've all probably seen the Olympics on. So when you have the, the 100 meter dash, like they don't put a bunch of obstacles out there, right? They don't put, I mean, I guess they have the hurdles, but um, 100, 100 meter dash, they're just going straight. There's nothing impeding those runners so they can go as fast as possible. That's the idea of that word free course. They have a straight shot, uh, an open field to, to, to take the gospel. So let's pray that God would send us and he would give us the gospel free course. He would give us an open track to run this week that we might be able to share the gospel with someone. Uh, in verse 2 of that, of that chapter, it says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Jesus Christ has promised to build his church. And he's going to build it upon the confession that he is the Christ on himself. And so he wants us to take the gospel. He, he wants to give us a free course. So let's, let's call upon Jesus to, to come through to his promise and give us opportunity this week. And then Colossians 3, 4, continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. So let's pray for that door of utterance this week. So before we get into the main message, let's stop and pray and ask God to help us in this regard. Father, 
Thank you so much for bringing us here this evening, and thank you so much for the wonderful gospel message that you've given to us. Father, we have the confident assurance, 100% confidence, that we're going to heaven when we die, and that we know Jesus Christ, uh, who has died on the cross for our sin, given us a wonderful relationship with you, given us victory over sin in this life. So, Father, we're very thankful. Uh, we pray that you would forgive us when we fall short of, of living uh, a Christ-like life, when we fall short of letting your Spirit live through us. And sometimes that means, Lord, we don't witness the way that we need to, that, that we should. So would you this week, Lord, would you help us to go into the harvest? Would you give us an open door, free course to go into the harvest and to share the gospel with someone. Maybe it's a, a co-worker, maybe it's a relative. Lord, you know. But I just pray that each and every person here, that you'd put on our heart and our mind, even those watching, Lord. Father, I pray you'd give each and every one of us an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week. And give us the strength and the boldness to do that. pray also you bless this time now as we look into your word, and that you would help us to grow closer to you, and learn more how we can serve you through this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now four words. We're going to look at four words, three men, two principles, and some obstacles, if we have time. Uh, first of all, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to look at four words. The first word is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And that word is witness. Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That word witnesses, key word, one of the key words of the book of Acts. Jesus Christ has called us, if you know him as your Savior, he's called us to be his witness. And if we look at the book of Acts and we look at the preaching of the book of Acts, we notice the key element of that witness is the resurrection of Christ. You can go to Peter's message at Pentecost, chapter 2. He's talking about the resurrection. Uh, Acts chapter 3, at Gate Beautiful, Peter again preaching about Christ. Um, even Paul preaching in, in uh, Greece on Mars Hill. He talks about the resurrection of the dead. Uh, King Agrippa, when Paul is talking to King Agrippa, he brings up the resurrection of the dead, and uh, Felix, the governor, ridicules him and says, Paul, you've got to be insane. I mean, people don't just come back from the dead. So the early church was a witness of Christ, and it was a witness to the resurrection. Look, that is the key element, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If we don't have the resurrection, we're just like every other world religion out there. But that's the game changer. And so we need to major on witnessing about the resurrection. We have the hope of eternal life. Muhammad's he's not alive. He's dead. Buddha, same thing. All those, all those, Joseph Smith, anybody you want to name, all those world religious leaders, they're all dead. But Jesus Christ has risen. That means he's God. That means he is the truth, the way, and the life. So when we share the gospel, we should not shy back from sharing about the resurrection. Because that, that, is, that is the crux of of Christianity right there. We're called to be witnesses. Mark chapter 16, 
verse 15, we're called to be verbal witnesses. It says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're, we're looking for those opportunities to verbally announce the gospel, but also visually. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we are the salt and the light. We're, our good works are supposed to show, to shine forth before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which art in heaven. So also, also visually. This ought to be our, our daily task as a Christian before we go to work. We're, we're not a whatever occupation, a nurse, engineer, doctor, what, whatever. That, that's not our primary occupation. Our primary occupation in life as a Christian is we are a witness. We are a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So everywhere we go, our primary purpose is to witness to people about Jesus. It just so happens that Pete, he worked as an electrician. He was a sparky. But he, just, he was a Christian who happened to be a sparky. Uh, Benji, a nurse. He was a Christian who happened to be a nurse who God put in that sphere to be a witness in that realm. That's how we have to view it. We have to view in our minds, we are not, don't identify ourselves by what the world wants us to identify ourselves by. Identify ourselves by Christ. Our, our identity is in Christ. We're followers of Christ. We're his witness. So witness, the first word of his resurrection. And we're, call, we're called to be witnesses, vis, verbally and visually. And then the next word, we are to be waiting, waiting on the Holy Spirit to move. Notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Why were they in prayer and supplication? Well, they had been told by Jesus to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. If we try to go ahead of the Holy Spirit, we go in our own power, we're, we're destined to failure. Remember the children of Israel? Moses told them when they, when they had sinned, they had rebelled. And, and Moses said, okay, uh, you guys blew your chance. Now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And they tried to go into the, the land of Canaan. They said, oh, okay, we're sorry, we're sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go. Moses said, hey, God's not with you. You're, just, you're going to waste your, yourselves trying. So if we're not in the Holy Spirit, then we might as well not go. So we need to wait, prayerfully wait. That's what the church did. They prayerfully waited for the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not waiting on the Holy Spirit the same sense that they did at Pentecost. Um, the Holy Spirit has come. He's indwelt every believer. So we are indwelt. We have the Holy Spirit with us. But we want to wait for the Holy Spirit's leading. Uh, now we are to be daily striving to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So each and every day, we need to start our day asking the Lord in, our, in fellowship with the Lord and saying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. Lead me and guide me in your Spirit. We need to be getting into God's Word. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And then prayerfully asking God through His Word to lead us each and every day so that we can be a witness for Him in this world. So, witness, waiting, waiting is the second word. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's a little different now. Now the Spirit is in the world, and He is, he is active in the world. John chapter 16. Everybody, if you would, go over to John chapter 16 so you can see this. John chapter 16, verse 8. This is Jesus talking about what's going to happen. Uh, he's about to go to the cross here in John 16. This, he's talking about what's about to happen. Things are going to change. 
um, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit did come at Pentecost. And this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do when he comes. Verse 8 of John chapter 16. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. So we want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit so that we can talk to the people that God is dealing with regarding their sin, regarding righteousness, regarding judgment. So if we're every day, we're prayerfully communing with the Lord in His Word and looking for opportunities. As we go throughout the day, we're looking for opportunities, saying, Lord, who is it you would have me talk to? And maybe one of those persons that you would have me talk to, you've been dealing with them on their sin. Or you've been dealing with them in the area of righteousness. They, they know they're not righteous. So, waiting on the Holy Spirit. Prayerfully waiting and then looking for those opportunities. Uh, praying that God would use you to help point people to their sin, righteousness, and this coming judgment. Also, as we pray, we want to pray for the Holy Spirit's boldness and for opportunity. If you go over to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the book of Acts is full of uh, instances of the Holy Spirit providing boldness to those that would witness for Him. Here in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they've been taken before the authorities, and uh, they're being questioned. And it says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Now get this part. And they took knowledge of them. Say that last phrase with me. That they had been with Jesus. Alright? So here's, here's the point. We need to spend time with Jesus before we can expect to be a bold, effective witness. Right? So they took time, they had time with Jesus, they had the Holy Spirit, and then they were an effective witness. If we try to rush ahead, if we try to get things out of order, if we try to go in our own power, we're going to fail. But because they were with the Lord, they were filled with the Spirit, they were effective witness. Now, notice, if you read through the, the passage here, the Sanhedrin did not, did not all get saved. They didn't become believers, Right? So we don't, we don't measure our effectiveness as a witness by whether or not somebody gets saved. We measure our, our effectiveness as a witness, well, primarily, the first thing is by our obedience. Were we obedient to share the gospel? Were we obedient to be the witness that Christ has called us to be? And then after that, we, we can, we'll get into maybe in a little bit about um, how we can be a little bit more effective in, in some different ways. So witness... Waiting, and then let's go to the, the next. Uh, by the way, uh, one thought I don't want to skip over. Don't, don't back away from those opportunities that we have when somebody gives a little pushback. Uh, don't immediately clam up and let fear keep you. Uh, I'm not saying be nasty about it. I'm not saying be aggressive or, or fight with somebody. But when somebody gives you a little pushback, that is actually a sign that potentially the Lord's working in that person's heart. And so don't just back away like, oh, this guy, okay, I'll go, I'll go to somebody else. He doesn't want to hear it. 
Well, he may be struggling with something very well in his heart, and he needs to hear the gospel. And so lovingly, but firmly, if the Lord leads you in that way, chat with him. Have the dialogue with him. Don't let that, that animosity uh, throw you away. Now, if he keeps being belligerent, he keeps being belligerent, and he shuts down the conversation, that's one thing. Um, but just because he makes an initial comment doesn't mean you have to initially back away. So we're, we're witnessing, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. But um, as we wait, and, and scripturally, as you look at this concept of waiting, it doesn't mean we're just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, the concept of waiting really has more of the connotation, uh, you go to a fancy restaurant, right, and you see someone, a uh, nice jacket, they've got the little towel over their arm, and uh, they're the waiter, right, and they stand next to the table, and they wait for people to, to make a request, tell them to go get this, do that. So that waiter, he is waiting, but he's actively waiting. He is listening, he's watching what he needs to do. Does he need to pour some drink? Does he need to go get some rolls from the the kitchen, he's actively waiting. That is the scriptural connotation of waiting, when it says wait upon the Lord. When, it, when we're supposed to wait, watch, and in prayer, we're, we're waiting, we're anticipating the Lord's return, but we're watching and waiting how we can be busy now in uh, anticipation of his return. So witness, waiting, and then the next word is working. Uh, another thing you see of the, in the book of Acts, the church was busy working. Now, I've listed out several references there. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 41 through 42, we see uh, the initial uh, surge into the church of the 3,000 at Pentecost. And then immediately, in verse 42, it talks about them uh, beginning to disciple. They're meeting together. And uh, they're discipling these new believers. They're welcoming them into the fellowship. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. So they were busy about reaching people at Pentecost, but then also uh, discipling them. The, the disciples made it a habit to be daily in the temple. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Uh, we see that they were in the temple quite often uh, throughout the book of Acts. We see that. Uh, Acts chapter, sorry, I missed Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And then again, we see them in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. They are in the temple. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, they actually get arrested again. They get put in prison. The angel releases them from prison and tells them to go back to the temple. So they're constantly involved in the work of the gospel and teaching. There's this constant, this, this underlying heartbeat. We have to reach people with the gospel. We have to be discipling people. We have to be moving uh, the faith of the gospel forward. There was an urgency. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of faith and power, did wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which, called, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So Stephen, one of the first deacons, 
busy about the gospel. Acts chapter 8. And here we have just concluded with Stephen's death, the first martyr of the early church. We see that Saul now is persecuting the church in verses 1 through 3. And then verse 4, Therefore they were scattered abroad everywhere, what does it say? Preaching the word. So the early church, you couldn't shut these people up. They just, they just had to share about Christ. So they were witnessing, they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, they were working. And so when we wait on the Holy Spirit, we're, we're constantly working. And we're, we're, we're pleading with God, we're waiting for God to show up in a way and, and to draw men and, and to see the soul saved. But we're working even whether or not we see the results. We're, we're working as the Holy Spirit leads us, we're working. And then eventually we will see the winning. We will see the winning of souls. Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 um, all through the book of Acts, we see souls coming to Christ. And we won't stop there and, and dwell on all those references. Uh, but I believe if we are witnesses waiting on the Holy Spirit and working in our community, in our sphere of influence to reach people, it is just a matter of time until we will see souls saved. We will see fruit. I guarantee it, because the Word of God cares into it. Now, I'm not saying we're going to see millions of people saved, but we will see fruit. The book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, it talks about the man who delights in the law of the Lord. John chapter 15, it talks about the man who abides in Christ, the believer who abides in Christ. Those two passages of Scripture, they promise, if you do those things, you will be fruitful. So this church, if it abides in the Word of God, and it abides in Christ, following His leadership, His direction, the result is we are going to bear fruit. There will be fruit to our account. We just have to do the work. We just have to be witnessing. And we have to have this, we have to have this heartbeat, this culture of evangelism, that we go from week to week, just every week we're anticipating, who can I witness to this week? What doors is God going to open this week? Uh, and so that's what we prayed at the beginning. We prayed and asked God to open a door. So now the challenge for us is going to be, all right, this is the rubber that meets the road. This week, are we going to look, actively look, for that divine appointment that God's going to bring us? Because I believe God will bring us a, an opportunity this week to be a witness. It's whether or not we're going to look for it and take it when he brings it to us. So four words, four important words in the book of Acts. Now let's look at three men. Three men from the book of Acts. First man would be Philip. And he's in Acts chapter 8. Uh, we see that he goes down after the persecution starts. He goes to Samaria. And he's a witness. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So he's, he's being a witness. Uh, he's doing the work. Uh, also, we're going to see later in the, in the chapter, he, he's a witness to a man from Ethiopia. So he's being a witness, he's doing the work. And he sees a, a reaping of souls. He sees the winning of souls. Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. All right, so in this instant, God sends him to Samaria, and a great number of people come to Christ. All right? 
Fast forward, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, that does not make sense at all. Because what it's saying there is it's saying, go to the highway down in Gaza. All right, so it would be like us, uh, somebody saying, go get on, uh, what is the M1 out in Gibbsland? Just, I don't know, in between Moe and Sale. There's nobody out there. Here he is, he's having revival. He is seeing lots of people trust Christ. This is awesome. And then God says, no, I want you to go to the, the highway in the middle of nowhere. That doesn't make sense. But what happens? He sees a man of Ethiopia, verse 27, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So this is a very important man, a wealthy man, influential man. And he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He was sitting in the chair reading Isaiah the prophet. All right, then the Spirit said unto Philip, and because Philip was in tune with the Holy Spirit, he sees the opportunity. He knows God wants him to engage this man. Go near and join thyself to his chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said unto him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And then the rest of the story, Philip shares Christ to him. He's a witness. After waiting on the Holy Spirit, he's a witness, and he sees the winning of a soul. So the, the success of a witness is not the number of people saved. It's the obedience to the Holy Spirit as we share the gospel. And whether the person gets saved or not, that's in the Lord's hands, but we have to be obedient. And if we just see the one soul saved, praise the Lord. Uh, I believe this man of Ethiopia, a very influential man, went back to Ethiopia, and there was a whole bunch of people in Ethiopia that heard about Christ and became believers because Philip was obedient to go to Gaza out in the middle of nowhere. And so we just have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and let God do His work because He, he sees the big picture. He knows what He wants to do. Uh, so whether or not it seems like it makes sense to us, we just have to step out and do it. Uh, so that's Philip, and then we have Paul, Acts chapter 9. So Paul, who was Saul, persecuting the church, and then becomes a preacher for the church, for Christ. And chapter 9, verse 20, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. This is, this is right after he has his conversion. And all of a sudden he goes a complete 180, uh, flip of a switch, he goes from persecuting Christians to now he's preaching in the synagogues for Christ. Verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? So everybody was scratching their head now. What? We thought this guy was going to come here and imprison everybody, and now he's preaching in favor of that message that he was he was persecuting. So Saul, here he is. Again, he's witnessing. Just like we see all throughout the book of Acts, he's witnessing. He's doing the work. Uh, we also see all, all throughout the book of Acts, uh, you know, if you follow Paul on his missionary journeys, he's witnessing, he's working. Uh, he's being persecuted. He, he has passion about the gospel. And then we see uh, time to time he is winning souls. He wins many souls. We don't know how many souls. Uh, the Apostle Paul won. And then we see Peter. Again, and we won't take the time to look at all these references. Peter is just constantly witnessing all throughout the book of Acts. 
Uh, he's constantly working all throughout, uh, well, especially the, the first half of the book. And many times he, as well, is involved in, in seeing souls saved. So that's three men. Four words, witnessing, waiting, working, and then winning. Three men, Philip, Paul, and Peter, all exemplifying this pattern that we see through these four words. So if we're willing to do the witnessing, waiting on the Holy Spirit, prayerfully, and, and doing the work, constantly getting out there, every t- just looking for those opportunities, doing the work of witnessing, I believe we'll see the winning of souls. And then that brings us to two principles. Two principles, especially from the, the example of the Apostle Paul. The first principle is, is passion. Uh, all throughout the book of Acts, the early church, we see an intense passion for the gospel. And why was that? Why do you think the early church had such a passion for the gospel? They had witnessed Christ, exactly. They witnessed the resurrection. Again, the importance of the resurrection to us as believers, but to our witness as well. When we get a hold of that reality that we are dead in our sin, realize our sin is what causes our physical bodies to deteriorate and causes us to be separated from God and end up in a, in a, a hell designed for the devil and his angels. And when we get the realization, and we really let that grab a hold of our reality, it's not just a story that we talk about on Sundays. This is reality. It's going to change the way that we, it's going to give us a passion. We have to tell this message. And then add on top of that, envision yourself. Pretend like you're Peter, you're John. You had rejected Jesus, or, or de- denied Jesus. You, you ran away. You, you didn't stand with him when you had the opportunity. And we all would have done the same thing. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is risen, and he's giving you a second chance. Think about Peter, when Jesus has the dialogue and says, feed my lambs. Peter, I'm still going to use you. Three times, He denied Christ three times, and now three times Christ asked him, do you love me? And yet he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, I'm not through with you. You're forgiven, and I'm going to use you. We're all in that same, we all should be able to identify with them, because we all would have rejected Christ or denied Christ, and we all would have needed that second chance, that forgiveness. And we all have experienced personally the validity, the truth of the resurrection of Christ. And now we're saved from our sin. We aren't stuck in our sin anymore. And that's the need that the world has. It's far better than the the cure for cancer. We say it all the time. If you had the cure for cancer, you'd go around telling everybody. Well, we have the cure for sin. The worst disease, so to speak, if you will, in the the world. Uh, In fact... Notice the, the uh, passion of some of these, these early church figures. Uh, we looked at Acts chapter 6, the example of Stephen 
verse 10 of Acts 6, it says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. There was passion in his message. And the Holy Spirit had filled him with wisdom and, and passion as he spoke. Uh, that gave him authority. Our passion provides a, a sense of authority that this is the truth. If we witness in a haphazard or half-hearted way, we're not very convincing. People are going to look at you and say, okay, that's, that's cute. That's, that's your truth. Nice. Good for you. But it's not going to cause them to think that you have something they want. Um, Acts chapter 26. Authenticity. Uh, so there's an element of authority when we speak with the passion that the Holy Spirit will give us. Acts chapter 26, verse 22. We referenced this just a bit ago. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. There's that word witnessing. Saying none other things than those things which the prophets and Moses did say should come. What's he going to talk about now? That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. Here again, it's the resurrection. He's mentioning the resurrection. And should shew light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Alright, it's the resurrection that is the light. This is what's going to rescue us from the darkness. Paul is excited. He is, he is passionate about this message. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad or insane. He says, Paul, you've got to be nuts to believe this. What's Paul's response? But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Paul was saying, I am being dead up honest with you. He's being authentic. So when we share the gospel, be genuine. And we can be because we know we have the truth. We have the authority, the truth of, of God's word. So let's share it with with that authenticity, that sincerity. And then look at verse uh, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 17. Or we'll start in verse 16. And this is Paul in Athens. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily... There that word daily is again, with them that met with him. So he's looking for people, just whoever will talk to him in the market. He's sharing. There's the, that urgency uh, in, in getting out the news. But notice verse 18, it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? babbler. Do you, do you get what's going on here? Paul is going around the marketplace. Whoever will talk to him, he's got to show. You can't keep this guy quiet. He's gotten a, a reputation. People are looking at him like, this guy, he just, he won't be quiet. What is wrong with him? This babbler. What's he? Okay. And finally, it, 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 people get curious. Okay. He's really, he's really just not, not letting this thing go. So people are getting curious. And say, okay, well, let's hear what he has to say. Too often, when we get the first bit of resistance 
to our witness, we, we shut up. We, we, we shut down. Oh, okay, they don't want it. And then, again, people, what are they supposed to think? Oh, it must not be that important. If it was important, they would keep coming at me. They would, they would try to persuade me. They would, they would, it would be important to them to that, that I should hear this. So here Paul is. He, he, just, he will not be denied. He's going to work to get an audience. So you see that passion there. You see that passion when he was with King Agrippa, that, that um, authenticity. You see the, the authority in Stephen. And you see the urgency here. The Apostle Paul just being urgent with the message. So just a few traits here of a spirit-filled passion. Uh, first of all, conviction. Conviction. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We see that in John chapter 16. Uh, he's referred to as the spirit of truth. He speaks the truth. So the Holy Spirit, the passion he's going to give us is going to be a passion for the truth. A passion to tell people the truth. Think about people and realize if they don't believe in Christ, they don't have the truth. They're lost. They're lost in error. And we have been given the Great Commission to go extend to them the truth. And how are they going to hear the truth if somebody doesn't tell them? So it's a great responsibility. And the Holy Spirit, wants to, He's going to give us a conviction. If we will yield to Him, He'll give us a conviction that this person needs the truth. They need the truth. Also, compassion. The Holy Spirit's going to fill us with the compassion. Now, I love the, the church model that we have, speaking the truth in love. We've got to get the truth out, but compassionately. The Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to give us a compassion to preach with love. You love that person. You want, to, want them to come to Christ. And we have to be careful not to be so overloaded on the truth that we are so concerned about winning the argument that we lose the person. Have you ever been in an argument where somebody, they, they rationally had the upper hand in the argument against you? You knew that they were right. But the way in which they were treating you, they were maybe shouting or they were belittling you, you didn't want to admit that they were right. So we can get so focused on, on cramming facts at people that we still end up turning them away because our, our presentation is not gracious. So we want to present the truth in love. And then compelling. The Apostle Paul, his witness was compelling because he knew there were souls that needed to be saved. And so he was, he was known as a babbler. He was known as an extreme witness because he was so passionate, he was so compelling about the gospel. And let this affect your communication. Let the Holy Spirit, as you've been praying, hopefully, that God will help you to be a witness. You're waiting on Him to give you those opportunities. You're praying for those opportunities. And you're, you're praying, God, fill me with a conviction for truth. Fill me with a, a compassion of love for people. And give me that compelling, that, that desire to see people saved. And as He's doing that work in you, it should show in the way you communicate. So if you go up to someone, so I come up to Sarah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to convince her of something, that the gospel, she needs the gospel. Hey, Sarah, I, I got something I need to tell you. Like, if you have maybe a minute sometime in the next 10 years, uh, just let me know. Shoot me a text or something sometime, and we'll, I'll, I'll share this thing with you. She's like on the edge of her seat now, like, oh, I've got to hear what this guy has to say, right? No, that's not very compelling. It's not very persuasive. 
She's like, it's just, just uh, some, some nutcase that has something to tell me. Whatever. So, but it will come out, it'll come out in the way you present. It will come out in your facial expression. It will come out in your body language. There will be a sense of passion. There will be a sense of, of love for that person, a sense of, I want you to hear this. Right? This is important. So when you let the Holy Spirit fill you, it's going to, it's going to come out in your physical communication as well. So that's passion. It'll affect our outlook, our, our, the way we appear. It's, and when, again, we're praying, we're asking the Lord for these opportunities, we ought to have an anticipation. We ought to have an expectation that God is going to give us opportunities. He wants to. He's not willing, willing that any should perish. And I'll tell you what, there are so many people here in Melbourne that we can talk to about the gospel. So many people. If we, if we just stop and take the time to do it. And then the next principle, persuasiveness. Persuasiveness. And we want to look at some examples of persuasiveness. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 22, if we go back over there. The Apostle Paul, he's just been uh, converted. He's just found the truth of Christ. And it says, But Saul, this is Paul before he was renamed, increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Proving. He was in the synagogue proving, persuading, showing them the scriptures that Christ is the Messiah. Um, now, this, this idea of persuasion in the early church, it was actually there from the beginning. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I find them very interesting. And, and you'll see this even in the, in the book of Acts in, in some of the early preaching as well. The early preachers of the gospel were very persuasive. Or Luke chapter 1, verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set, in for, to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Okay, so what's he saying? Hey, a lot of people have taken it to, to write down the, the narratives of, of Christ, of, of what, we re, what people remember, that, that we believe about Christ, these, these gospel stories even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So what's he saying? He's like, hey, a lot of people have said, hey, we're going to write down the stories, the narratives we've heard about Jesus. And he's saying that these stories, these narratives have come from eyewitnesses, meaning they are reliable sources. They're not just hearsay. These are people that actually saw Jesus Christ. They saw these things happen. They saw the miracles. They saw the teachings. They heard the teachings of Christ. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first to write into the in, in order, most excellent Theophilus. So here is Luke laying forth his gospel. He's collecting all of these eyewitness accounts, all of these narratives that people have been writing and, and the things that he's been told and he says, look, Theophilus, these are eyewitness accounts. What's he trying to do? He's trying to persuade Theophilus. He's trying to use um, persuasion that he can trust what he is saying. He, he says, this is the truth. 
You can look in 1 John chapter 1. The apostle uh, John writing, saying that we have handled the word of life. We saw him. We touched him. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because he wants the reader to know you can trust what I have to say. He's using an element of persuasion to persuade his, his audience that it is the truth. And so that's what we see. We see Paul. He's persuading these Jews here in Acts chapter 9. Go over again to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is now in Thessalonica. Verse 2, it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So they're talking. They're, they're disputing about these, these Scriptures. They're, they're, it says, verse 3, Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Opening and alleging. So this is what he goes. He goes in the synagogue. He opens the scrolls. And he, he lays it side by side with what Jesus has done and what was said in the Old Testament. Why? He's trying to persuade the Jews from their Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He's using that element of persuasion. But also, he uses the element of persuasion in Acts chapter 17, further on, in a different context. Go down to verse 22. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that, ye, that in all things ye are too superstitious. So here, now he's talking to a Greek audience. So he's not talking to the Jews who have knowledge of the Scriptures. He's talking to an audience that has no knowledge of the Scriptures. So he doesn't open a ledge, the Scriptures, with them. Actually, what he does, verse 23 says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom ye therefore ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So the Apostle Paul, he understands his context, the, the setting is totally different now. He's not talking to people that have an understanding of the scriptures. So he doesn't bring up, he, it doesn't, he doesn't roll out the Torah and say, okay, guys, let's, let's read this Jewish uh, scriptures and, and I want you to talk about Christ. And that is totally foreign to them. So what does he do? He actually references, he actually references the unknown God. And then he begins to present scriptural truth to them, but he presents it in a manner that is more philosophical. The Greeks, they were big on the philosophy. They loved to sit around and talk about things. And so he presents it in a manner that fits the setting. He fits the context. Jesus was a master at that. He didn't use a one-size-fits-all approach to the gospel. He, he took the individual, and he knew where that individual was at, and he spoke to that individual on an individual basis. And you know what? Jesus wasn't always trying to uh, share the gospel directly with people. Remember the, the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew this guy, and he says, okay, um, have you kept all the commandments? And the response is, oh yeah, I kept those for my youth. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. 
So what does Jesus do? Does he go, oh, he goes to the John, uh, uh, Romans Road, John 3, 16, uh, you're, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No, he doesn't do that. He says, okay, if thou wilt be perfect, sell everything you have, and then come follow me. Give to the poor and then come follow me. Because he knew that that man had a self-righteous attitude. So he knew that sharing the gospel with him, that was a little too much for him. He needed to, come, he needed to be confronted with his sin of his covetousness, his love for self more than his love for God. So Jesus was very, very smart in dealing with people uh, and using, in, in meeting people where they were. The Apostle Paul the same way. He's, he is uh, um, assessing the setting, he's assessing the audience, and he's presenting the gospel in a way that the audience will give him attention. If he was to pull out the Torah and start talking Jewish scriptures, would have shut the whole conversation down. They'd probably, ah, whatever. But he presents the gospel, and he does present the gospel. He doesn't compromise the message. He doesn't change the gospel. He doesn't try to, like, uh, Grecianize it. He just presents it in a way, uh, in a different way, but he does get to the resurrection. In verse 31, it says, Because uh, he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world, this is God, in righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. So here he is, he's clearly talking about Jesus, and he's clearly talking about the resurrection again. So he still gets to the gospel, he just takes a different avenue to it. So the Apostle Paul, God gifted this guy to be very persuasive, to be very savvy in understanding the context in which he was speaking. Remember, he's a cross-cultural missionary. He's going to different places. And so he, he has been, uh, he's learned how to address people so that he can give them the gospel. So we see Paul's persuasiveness in, in several contexts. We already looked at King Agrippa. There he gives a very personal testimony and a personal plea to King Agrippa that he would um, come to Christ. Now let me fast forward here. My clicker is not wanting to work. There we go. All right, so let's take a few minutes and look at spirit-filled persuasion. Some characteristics of spirit-filled persuasion. Now, I want to clarify, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So, that is the message. And, and using persuasion, that, that's not going to save anybody. Using manipulation, that's not going to save anybody. I'm not talking about manipulating people. This is a Holy Spirit-given persuasion in which we assess the audience, and we're relying on the Holy Spirit to, to know where that audience is and to know how to present them the truth so that they will, they will give us an audience so that we can get to the gospel because the gospel is what's going to save. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So, but, but what we do is we try to be persuasive. We try to assess the situation so that we can get to the gospel. A lot of people out there, all right, here in Australia, you go up to them on the street, and you try to give them a track. I try to give a track to, or a, I, I just tried to give one of our Christmas flyers to somebody yesterday, and I don't, I don't want it. So a lot of times, that, if, you st if you lead with that, it shuts the whole thing down. But I'll tell you what has worked for me <coughs> with the podcast that I've started. Uh, I've started a podcast, and the theme is purposeful living, all right? So living with a purpose. So this is great, especially if I'm at JB Hi-Fi or somewhere, I'm getting uh, some equipment for, for the podcast, getting a microphone or whatever. 
uh, just strike up a conversation with the guy. So I'm doing a podcast. Oh, great. Love podcast. JB Hi-Fi, those people love podcasts, all right? They're into all that tech stuff, you know? And so uh, what's your podcast about? Oh, Purposeful Living. Hey, uh, what do you find purpose in, in life? How, how do you find purpose? And uh, several people have told me, oh, family. You know, family gives me purpose and everything. And, but here's the thing I found. Most of the time, I ask them a question. What do you find purpose in? Bingo. There's, there's an open door. What do I find purpose in? The Lord Jesus Christ. And there's an opportunity to witness. I've used that several times. So if you learn how to assess the situation, know who you're talking to, know what interests they have, get into a conversation, and then ask the Lord to give you a, a line to the gospel. Um, I was talking to some people. They're fixing up one of the apartments uh, across from me. I went over there, chatting with them, just small talk, just they're fixing this, that, and that, and whatever. Start talking about the podcast. What do you find purpose in? Just one question after another. So, so do you think that there's objective truth? There, there's, there's like, you know, absolute truth, like that you can find purpose in that can give you direction in life? Well, they're, they're giving me their thoughts. I'm, I'm chatting with them. I'm not arguing with them, but I'm just I'm leading them one step at a time until I can get closer to the gospel. Until I can get to a point where I can share my testimony, how Jesus has given, he's filled my life with purpose. So if, if you assess the situation, look where you can develop some kind of common ground with that person, and it's going to take time. If you're in a rush, if you're busy, you're going to miss the opportunity. I've had to, uh, I was at the Noble Park station a few weeks ago. This guy, he was talking, on, he, he was talking to me about homeless ministry. I actually did learn several good things about uh, homeless ministry from this guy. Uh, when you just stop and listen to people, a lot of times you, you can learn things if, if you will stop and, and slow down. Um, but I didn't really get to share the gospel with him very much until the end of a, I don't know if it was like an hour-long conversation, but it, it was pretty long. So it's going to take time, but that's when it's worth it. If, if I had just tried to go up to that guy right off the bat, he, he started out a little belligerent, actually, with, with my friend who was out witnessing. He started out a little belligerent. And so I came in. God gave me the ability to help diffuse the situation through asking some questions and, and getting his feedback on what the situation. He was upset about us being out handing out tracts when we should have been out helping homeless people and showing Christ's love rather than just handing out tracts, which I, I understand that, but... Uh, God did tell us to go out and share the gospel. That's what people need. So, but I was able to go in and say, well, hey, tell me about homeless ministry. What, what do people need? Just th that kind of stuff. He, he came down. He wasn't as agitated. God gave me the ability then to start sharing with him because I had built some rapport with him. And he actually would hear what I had to say because I showed that I wanted to hear what he had to say. And by the end of it, I got to share with him that salvation is by faith in Christ. You don't have to worry about being good enough. That never would have happened if I had just straight up off the bat tried to go up to him and, and shove a track in his face and, hey, let me tell you something. Um, we've, got to we've got to treat people like people, and none of us like to be shoved stuff on us. So <clears throat> we know that, but when we go to witness, let's keep that in mind because that will help us then be able to get into the opportunity to share the gospel. So the gospel is the thing that we want to get to. But sometimes we have to take some detours or, or we have to build a little bit of rapport to get to the gospel. And we should rely on the Holy Spirit for that. Uh, 
we need to ask the Lord, fill us with love for this person. You care what this person has to say? Try to get, what is this person's, what, what's this person's issue? Did they have an issue, have they been hurt by a Christian in the past? Um, why are they upset at God? Or, or is this person, they just don't feel like it's that important? What, what is the issue? Try to get to know that person. And as you talk and as you dialogue, you build rapport, that is when they then open up and allow you to share. But it takes time. Uh, but ultimately, we want to try to get to the gospel. And you can do that. Navigating the situation, navigating the conversation. Um, I use the podcast, Purposeful Living. That's not for everybody. Not all of you have a podcast. But what is it, what is it that you can use as an intro, as maybe a question to them, and then something of interest that you have that can develop a conversation that you can then spring into the gospel? If we look at the Apostle Paul, his, his typical uh, mode of, of operation was that he found a synagogue. He went to people that had a context in the scriptures. He, uh, and that's where he majored in, in, in his ministry. Uh, that's what's mentioned most of the time in scripture. <clears throat> now, we do see in Acts chapter 17, he was in the market talking to, to people. So I'm assuming he went all their places. But he, he knew that the, the most likely chance he was going to get an audience was somebody that had audience with the scriptures. So he's, he's evaluating the audience. He's going to where uh, he knows he would probably be likely to, to have at least somewhat of an audience. And, and that's where he's majoring his ministry. Uh, so we really want to focus, when we see that the Lord has, has put somebody in our life that has a connection to church or to the scriptures, if there's some kind of groundwork there, we really want to take advantage of those opportunities to share the gospel because some of the groundwork's already been laid. Uh, that doesn't mean we exclude everybody else, but uh, really that, that should be a, a primary um, objective for us to, to reach those people. Uh, people that don't have a background in the scriptures, we're going to have to do a lot of groundwork. We're going to have to do a lot of caring and showing love to them in order to be able to then give them the gospel. And I'm talking a lot about persuasion. I don't want to neglect the fact the Holy Spirit is the one that draws. Okay, John chapter 6, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father draw him. And later in the passage it says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. So salvation is a spiritual undertaking. Uh, so without the Holy Spirit, no one is going to get saved. The Holy Spirit has to be involved. And it's not up to our oratory or our brilliant ideas or our crafty way of speech. Um, but the Holy Spirit has called us to be witnesses. It is a collaborative effort. And so we shouldn't shy away from the fact that we need to be convincing in our witness. We need to be per persuasive. Uh, rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the appropriate convincing or, or persuasive mindset in the situation. Some people, they need uh, more of a, an apologetic approach. They don't believe in God. You can quote all the verses in the Bible to them, and they're going to reject most of it. Their heart is hardened. Now, the Holy Spirit can still work and use Scripture, um, but their heart's hardened. They're, they're rejecting it. It's just bouncing off their heart like a, like a bulletproof vest, okay? So you might have to use some of the apologetics, some logic. God has given us logic. He's given us truth. All truth is God's truth. 
And so use those things as appropriate, but never shy away from sharing the gospel. Never shy away from, from scripture if the conversation leads to it, because the scripture is quick and powerful, and it can cut through the heart, all right? Just because it appears to be hard doesn't mean it won't have an effect. But some people do benefit from having uh, some of those apologetics um, brought forth to them. It's a collaborative effort. God has, has called us to be witnesses. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit persuades. So therefore, we should use persuasion as led by the Holy Spirit to convince men of salvation. And, and what are the, the Spirit-led persuasion tools, so to speak, if you will? Well, one is truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, again, John sixteen thirteen, the Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of truth. So as we have opportunity to witness, presenting truth is the way that we can persuade in, in collaboration with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convince men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, uh, of, of their need for Christ. He can, uses the Word of God in their life. So Giving them the truth, giving them the word of God. That's how we work with the Holy Spirit. Also, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It's uh, without, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So using God's word in the lives of others. Uh, so a little while back, I, I left a note for one of my neighbors, and I put a, a proverb in that note. Look, I, I wasn't sharing the gospel with them. But I was giving them a piece of scripture. And, and the Bible says that God's word doesn't return void. So anytime we have an opportunity to share scripture with someone, then why not do it? The, the word of God is powerful. I know one of my Bible professors in university, he said his dad came to Christ because he read the book of Proverbs. Now you find that's kind of odd, like he didn't read about John or Mark or the Gospels. He read Proverbs and he began to see that the Proverbs are true. They, they, they make sense. They're, they're real-life application. And he said, well, if that's true, the rest of it's true. And so that was good enough for him, and he came to Christ. So when we can give uh, away the Word of God, uh, then let's do it. And again, remember, um, the Holy Spirit is in the world convi convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So in a conversation, if you have the opportunity to bring up someone to face their sin... Uh, I was talking to a guy one time. He's an atheist from India. He moved over to the U.S., went to, to college, and he was still in the U.S. And we were talking, and I didn't get anywhere with this guy uh, in the conversation. He thought, he thought I was a joke, basically. But there was one part in the, in the conversation. Uh, I knew that he was a sexually immoral person with, with women. And I didn't even realize exactly in the conversation, but I mentioned, I said something to him about how many women he had messed over in his life. And immediately, the look on his face, you could tell there was conviction. He knew he was wrong. And if I had been smarter, I, I wish I had, but if I had been smarter, maybe more learned, I would have honed in on that aspect the rest of the conversation. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think I let it get back into the other stuff, and then he kind of clammed up. So the Holy Spirit, we know he's working on, on hearts about sin. So if we can point people to that. Again, we're working collaboratively with the Holy Spirit. And again, we get uncomfortable because people get offended about sin. 
just at, at that initial pushback, let's not, okay, okay, give up. Let's, can we push through it a little bit? Can we, can we, can we keep that conversation and say, well, hey, you look like you're a little, you're a little guilty there. You feel a little convicted. Do you want to know how you can have freedom from that guilt? Is there a way that you can continue engaging that, that sense of conviction as the Holy Spirit leads you? How can you continue that conversation in the way that they are being prodded by the Holy Spirit? So persuasion, passion and persuasion. We see these in Scripture. The witnesses in the book of Acts, they're passionate urgent about getting out the message, and they're persuasive. They are using persuasion to bring people to Christ. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us persuasion as well, to make our witness powerful, to make our witness uh, something worth, uh, that people would feel is worth listening to. There are a list of obstacles uh, along with these three points that I've made, but I think we'll stop there for this evening. So, four words, witness, waiting, work, and winning. And if we will do the witnessing, waiting on the, the Holy Spirit to lead us, and, and we'll stay busy working while we, we wait for Him to guide us to those souls, we will, we will win some. Three men, Philip, Paul, and Peter, they exemplified those principles in different settings, they exemplified that principle in a very hostile Jerusalem. So we can exemplify it here in Melbourne, no problem. God is still the same God uh, as he was back then. And then two principles. Here's where a lot of it's going to come down to. Are we going to be passionate? Are we going to be passionate about winning people to Christ? And if we're going to be passionate, we're going to be persuasive. We're going to, to, to give people a reason to come to Christ. And again, we're going to do it in the help of the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God. That's, that's what I see in Scripture. It worked then. God's still on the throne today. I believe it will work today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. And thank you for the examples. Thank you for um, the confidence we have that you're still the same God as the God of the early church. And we can still see people saved today. Lord, I, I pray you'd help us to take to heart this message that we would take it seriously, our job of being a witness. That's our first job. And that you would help us to wait on you to do the work that you've given us to do and, and in due season we will reap if we faint not. And Father, again, I pray this week that you would go before us as you went before the children of Israel into the promised land and that you would give us opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, help us to slow down in our busy lives and be able to take one, one opportunity at least this week. Lord, give us the grace, give us the, the spirit to fill us with passion, with love and, and conviction. And that passion would bubble over and it would spill out into a persuasive witness for you. 
Lord, we love you. We're thankful for the salvation we have. Help us not to keep it to ourselves. We pray this all in your name.